0: This show is part of the Electric Agora network of podcasts. Oh,
1: uh, we're not putting on the glass. That's right. We don't right. trust Amazon. Oh, well, hello, everybody. Um, my name is Robert Gresses. This is an episode of Sophia, where I am collaborating with my good friend, David Leach. Where do you teach, David Leach? Uh, I teach at Cal State Northridge, much like yourself. Yeah, I also I, teach there. Yeah. Uh, so I teach in the political science department. That's right. And uh, this 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 uh, episode of Sophia is a little different because, as you can see, we're in the same room. We're not at Zoom. We actually like each other. And so uh, so here we are meeting. Uh, we're going to talk today about a trifecta. Is that the right word to use? A trilogy. A trilogy. Yeah, yeah. that's probably better. I, I now, now I'm curious about the difference, but I'll say that for a different episode. A trilogy of articles written by a, um, what would you call him? An a independent scholar. public intellectual. Yeah, aspiring yeah. public intellectual. That's good. Named Richard Hanania, who uh, has founded an organization that's called CSPI, Center for the Study of Partisanship and something else. I don't know what. Information. Anyway, so uh, I like to start these things off off with a uh, small talk question. Right. So here's my small talk question for right. you. And uh, what is your most sexually traumatic experience? I mean, yeah, I have to I have to sort of pause yeah. and go through. All of your sexually traumatic experiences. A of possibilities. Yeah, and then you gotta rank them. Now I, I will um, tell you mine. Oh, I, I, I have to rank them? How many do I do? Well, I said most. Okay, you can give so me your, your fourth
0: most. It's, I don't think I have them ranked quite that tight. Like that. Oh, uh, I have, uh, I don't know, how saucy can I get on these?
1: Well, uh, saucy enough so that uh, it's interesting. Also, you could just make it up. I expect most of my... Oh you're not I'm gonna, gonna I'm definitely up. not gonna because I'm making up, up on
0: uh, no I mean um, so at, at of course the age of 42 the human <laughs> body's past its expiration date. Uh-huh. It's uh, expiration date. Uh, expiration date. <laughs> yeah um and so I, I had back surgery a little while ago and I will uh-huh. have a great back. Uh-huh. So um I think without I don't know how much detail the listeners want not, they don't but, want too much. Okay. Um uh, I would say uh, severe cramping uh-huh. at really inopportune moments <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna choose to put that as number I'm one fairly high i mean because i'm like i'm not, like the childhood stuff is just such a <laughs> such a list of, oh yeah like,
1: ongoing sexual embarrassment oh yeah a sexual embarrassment i suppose yeah. can arouse okay. to trauma this
0: is true uh, like uh, i'm lucky enough that mm-hmm. I, there's nothing i would look at and be like oh no that's a legit trauma trauma yeah. um instead it's just looking back and sort of weeping to myself um
1: uh, yeah i am haunted by some of my, uh, let's just call them moves I made when I was a younger man. And uh, I'm just glad that, that this happened in a different era. Uh, I will say my most subduce-traumatic experience is when I realized that most of my political views are just sublimated sexual desire. Huh, it's so, traumatic rather than liberatory? <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought of it <laughs>
0: <laughs> no I mean you, you bring up sort of the moves uh this is not traumatic for me but of course the stuff that I feel most most embarrassed about and the stuff that I feel most that sort of cuts cuts uh, me now to the core is sort of bad sexual behavior when I was like 17 18 mm-hmm. um and times that that I mean, look context matters well like yeah. times I look back at my at my behavior I'm like that was really not very nice that oh. was not that was not kind like that was that was not
1: great to respecting sort of the people. Are you right? glad that you live in a different age now? Do you think the consequences if that happened today would be over, over disproportionate?
0: I don't know whether they would be disproportionate, but they would probably be be more severe. And I will say that, like, at least right now, I look back at that stuff, I really do wince. Like, I, uh-huh. I'm not sure that sort of severe punishment would have been the most effective educational tool, yeah. but, like it would have been cool. It, it was weird because like I was at a, I, like a lot of this, some of this stuff was, you know I was at Oberlin, which is sort of uh-huh. like, hippie school, yeah. uh, lefty school. And and we were, I think, I like to think that the campus culture was ahead of the curve at the time, but this was the late nineties. It's not, a, it, where yeah. it was
1: then is not ahead of the curve now. So I look back, I'm like, oh my
0: God, did everyone fucking do that? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, the late nineties oh and the God. early two thousands, oh if you just look at like cultural criticism, it was a very different time That's when it came so to gender norms. Right. Uh, Perhaps we have overcorrected. I don't know, but uh, there probably was some correction <laughs> needed. Um, so that's the end of small talk.
0: Although this this links in in some ways, obviously with the- yeah,
1: with the article. Well, you know, once I realized, as I said, that all my political views are sublimated sexual desire, no I, it all this this whole conversation is probably about something naughty. But anyway, uh, there, are so that, <laughs> right. uh, there are three articles. Enjoy that. That's right. There are three articles. Let me see if I can remember the titles. The first one is why is everything woke? The second one he wrote is, wokeness is just civil rights law. Oh, is that the second that one? That was the second right. one. And the third one he wrote is called, uh, Liberals Read Conservatives Watch TV. Yeah. right. And that's the big one. That's the big one.
0: I did not realize the order. Uh, yeah, I, that, that,
1: I'm not a subscriber. Oh, oh, I'm, I think I am a subscriber. Yeah, <laughs> I am a subscriber too. What's it called? I think it's just called okay. Richard Kennedy's yeah. Substance. Newsletter it's not called Mirror of the Great Prince, for example. But anyway, That's a reference, okay. it's a reference to, I think, what Curtis Yarvin's Substack is called. But, Something like that. Um, <laughs> gray Mirror of the Prince, I don't know. It's got this He's What a nerd. <laughs> what, a, what a just absolute nerd. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's a great mirror. Anyway. Um, Okay, so do you want to handle them in the order they were written? Or do you want to give general impressions about how the three things were like? Because it's kind of like yeah. his explanation for wokeness.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and you and I should say, I like these articles, although upon closer reading, I've seen problems I didn't see the first time. I think you never liked these articles.
0: No, but but on the other hand, these articles in a certain way might be titled like why Dave Leach needs to be thrown out of a helicopter. So, like, <laughs> of, of course I'm not going to like uh, A nice I, reference
1: to the helicopter. Thank right? Right. I, hey. no i know where i am yeah.
0: um we can handle them either way like uh, for me they like there's not that much that i would say differently but like they're obviously doing different stuff yeah. in some ways but they're, they're they're self-consciously a trilogy so for so for, for for readers who haven't seen it yeah like they're very self-consciously a trilogy um and so i think that he's intending basically one argument across them and i would i would include other stuff that he's written in his like recently because uh-huh. well i don't think that the quality of, of work here is really high. Yeah, It's also notable to me that like people who I really like and, and think are smart uh-huh. do really like it or gain something out of it. Not just you, but sort of other people in my life. Tyler Cowan
1: likes it a lot. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, who else likes it a lot? Oh, Barry Kaplan likes it a lot.
0: There are a bunch of folks who I think are not dummies who are people I read um who really like it and so for me my approach was for better or worse a kind of cultural criticism approach of like oh I'm th- like this this is not intended for me but yeah. like what can I get out of this what can I mine out of this uh-huh. what can I learn about about people
1: like yeah this? and have you feel do you feel like you've learned something or are you still puzzled why oh. people like this?
0: Well, I'm still puzzled in part, but yeah. but, but maybe a little bit. So, we is to say, all of this is a long a long digression to say. Basically, like we can handle. We, can, we why, can buddy, I
1: way. think we should start with what's your master interpretation of his basic what's he doing here and why don't why do you have a problem with it can i
0: separate out what he thinks he's doing and what i yeah, see going yeah. on here? yeah please do um because I, I i do think that they're different um what does he think he's doing here for me actually what i think he's doing here culminates not in one of these three articles but in the the review that he the the review excerpts or the review he put up later uh-huh. uh, about i think the book's called woke Ink. I, I haven't read the book uh uh-huh. um uh and in that book, in the review of Woke Inc, what he does is he talks about the need for the right. And I, let's 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 put aside like I'm not perfectly sure who he means there, yeah. but like how the right needs to find some central organizing principle or some sort of has to like get it together to have a policy program. Yeah, I think that's a thread that runs through. And in some ways, I think it that 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 book review really is sort of like the fourth piece of the trilogy huh. uh, in some ways, because because I think that that's telling you what he wants to do, what he, and that's why I, I think it's fair to describe him as aspiring public intellectual. What I think he, what I read him as trying to do and his intention is to try to move the right into a place where it has a policy program again.
1: Right, and um, I think you and I both agree that the right doesn't really have a policy program right now.
0: Uh, I, frankly, I think that anyone who's not receiving a paycheck from someone on the right thinks that, like when Tom Cotton says that, I think yeah. we can all agree yeah. that like this, this is not this is not a slur that the left is putting, that the right self-consciously doesn't. And this shifts into sort of my interpretation of what's going on, because why would it right now?
1: Right, why would it? Okay, so like. One obvious answer for Whitewood is just that, like, don't they want to do things, right? And if they want to do things, shouldn't they try to do them, right? And apparently the answer is, no, they don't want to do things. So that's why they're not trying to do anything.
0: But I think this makes perfect sense against the backdrop of American electoral politics. And increasingly, this is the way I've been thinking about this article in a way that that is that is sympathetic to, uh-huh. to I think, what he's trying to do. Because I know that you and I disagree about this, because we've, we've talked right. about this before. So and that's fine. We can... Uh, we can argue about it. Um, but I think that basically the period from 1964 to roughly speaking now represents a realignment of American politics. The Dixiecrats left the, the, the Democratic Party to join the Republican Party, the Southern strategy. Um, and I know that sometimes certain people sort of, no, but I think this is fairly well established. Um, uh, that there was a period of realignment. I think that that realignment in some ways reaches apex in uh, Reagan's presidency and that mm-hmm. Reagan defined that realignment. And you know what he did? I yeah. think he really did. And you can see that in 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 sort of, because you and I are at an age where we can remember Clinton's presidency mm-hmm. and the fact that he triangulated, the mm-hmm. fact that he pivoted, the fact, the fact that they, that shows the strength of Reagan, like that shows the enduring strength of Reagan. The fact that yeah. George H.W. Bush didn't get a second term, I don't think was an indication in any meaningful way that like Reagan's orientation or that that realignment that lasted from 64 until relatively recently had lost its, in fact, I think that in some ways it's a strength it, it, it pulled the Democrats, Reagan was such a center of gravity or sort of the Reagan fusionism was mm-hmm. such a center of gravity that it pulled the Democrats, but it pulled the Democrats in a way that, that made life a little harder in a, in, a, in a way that's relevant for this piece, that made it harder for Republicans, because what we what we normally see, I think, in American politics is that the party in power loses its intellectual verve, and the party that's out of power. I don't mean party like the political party, right? Because obviously, oh, Clinton sure. was in part of power, like like Obama was in power, but but neither of them were 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 sort of standard lefties from the standpoint of like the the previous the previous realignment. They weren't sure that you know, like labor was not. It's not central. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that, and so Reagan cast a shadow such that even though the Democratic Party was in power, it was a Democratic Party that was reconfigured around basically sort of that that Reaganite move. And when you see. When you see people having having power, at least in American politics, I at least traditionally think that there's a drop off intellectual energy there because mm-hmm. they're busy doing stuff. And where you see the intellectual energy is usually who's out of power. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that that happened to be the left at that point. I know that that there is disagreement about this and that reasonable. No, I, I agree that during the Reagan, from I'd say from 1980 to 2016, there's an important sense in which the left was not in power. The left. I mean, right. the Democrats no, no, no. had lots of things, but right. yeah. no, no, no,
0: but, but, and, and this is important that, like one of the things that drives me nuts is the way that like Democrats and the left and wokeness gets conflated as if they're the same thing. And like as, as someone who, who is very, very a little bit in this stuff, I, I don't feel that way at all. Yeah. Um, it, that, that does not. And so I think that that, like, in a certain way, I think that this is an attempt by him and maybe I'm reading in what I would want to say. Yeah. It's an attempt by him to sort of reinvigorate, like, what, what the fuck does the right actually want to do? Yeah, does the right. Way do? And it, may, the way I say, it makes sense that they that what, why would they? I don't mean like there's something endemic about the right or conservative thought. What I mean is like they've been in power. Of course not. It's very natural. Yeah, for right thought right now to be a kind of a kind of a bad state because because that's the nature
1: of being in power. Do you, do you think this happened before when FDR from FDR to Carter? That basically you look at the Republican presidents at that time. You have Eisenhower. You have Nixon. Uh, who else do you have? These
0: are not Reaganite
1: Republicans. No, they're not. Like, right. look at what Nixon did. It yeah. was quite, by today's standards, uh, activist and leftish, right? Like with the EPA. They're and all responding the to the radio. action, yeah. Exactly. And then it seems like when you get stagflation in, under Carter, and he's arguably, Carter is to FDR what Trump is to Reagan. Like a kind of, I mean, Carter was a lot smarter than Trump and he actually did a lot of things that were interesting policy-wise, like deregulating the airlines and stuff like that. But like, he's sort of, is he the last gasp of FDR? I don't know if he wasn't his policy, but I think he was thought of by that, by yeah, people. I think that's right. And so, uh, and so like, that was, I think, when the Democrats were like, had no ideas and, uh, and the Republicans had all the ideas. And perhaps if, I mean, this is probably oversimple, but maybe the same things happen. And the Republicans are gonna be in the wilderness for a while, but in maybe 20 years, they're gonna have all the ideas and the Democrats are gonna be just like, Governing. <laughs> Look,
0: um, I, this is not me entering into a bet with Brian Kaplan. I, I assume he's watching, but if you're watching, I'm not, this is not a, this is not a bet. But yeah. I, would, I would put, I would put meaning, I, I. by the way, one of the things I've gotten out of Kaplan, which you, you got me into, was the idea that like, you should start thinking of your 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 error bars in terms of the money you're willing to bet. That's actually, I find that a really useful right. rubric and a really useful comment. Oh, you think this, how much would you bet on? Oh, nothing. Interesting. Um, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Well, and also forces you to be precise. Right. Like, when do you think this is going to happen? What would count as you being right? right? It makes you operationalize
0: it. So yeah. I'm not prepared to operationalize it, but my sense is that basically that, uh, the Democrats or like after this period, what we would normally expect is that some some new left coalition will be right. dominant for the next fifty years, and it will burn out its intellectual energy on hopefully on policy stuff, yeah, um, hopefully on policy victories. But that that then will end, and basically the right will spend this time getting it together. And I what I understand Richard, Hanania to be doing here, or hoping he's doing here, or maybe yeah. that I want him to be doing here, is to try and get the right together intellectually. Because I say this as someone who, who's self consciously on the left the right having run out of ideas is not healthy. It's yeah. not healthy for ever, anyone. Like this, this does not feel like a good moment. This transition moment doesn't feel fun to anyone.
1: Yeah, I think it was Bruno McSays. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He's kind of got somewhere around on the internet who said that it's a very bad sign when more and more people in like the intellectual class think of one of the main parties in America as simply not legitimate, yeah. <laughs> right? Like a lot of people on the left don't think of the Republican party as really a party. They think of it as dangerous. and. I'm not going to say that comes from nowhere. <laughs> right. yeah, I
0: mean, I, my, my defensiveness would be like, but there's a reason for that. I mean, to yeah. me, what this means is like, yeah, but I don't think that that's, that's less a misestimation and more like work needs to be
1: done. Right. And yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want, like, even if they're justified in like banning Fox News or something like that, it would be a bad idea. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, so it, it almost seems like you've sketched an alternative theory about why everything has, quote, gone woke from what Hanania said, which is that, Republicans have run out of energy, and the Democrats have gotten it. But you're not—you don't agree with me and my way of putting what you said.
0: I'm not sure it is. Uh, is that different from what you said?
1: Okay, isn't that just in different way? Isn't that just giving a different background to what you said? Well, I think what so so let's 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 look at the um, the wokeness in civil rights law. Yeah. that article yeah. is sort of directly relevant to this because in that article, what he says is that because um, this is the the article where he gives a policy agenda for conservatives, and what he says is that if you look at like there does seem to me, and I think a lot of people, some people deny this, but I don't quite know how, there does seem to me to be a very huge upswing in talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, or what's been called, I think by Matt Iglesias, the great Awakening, starting in around 2011, 2012, 2013, where uh, if you look at the occurrence of words like white supremacy, like privilege, like systemic racism, It just shot up massively, like when they appear in things like the New York Times or the Washington Post. And I do feel as though discourse on university campuses has changed noticeably. Say what you will about the phrase cancel culture, or what it is, there do seem to be, like if there's a poll that said something like 80% of students are a little bit afraid to, or are afraid to express their views in class and not so high, but a large number of faculty self-censor. And I think, I don't know if that's always been true. It'd be interesting if we had that data to make a comparative analysis just as an individual who feels it, it feels more true. Yeah. Like I feel more worried about pushback from students, about pushback from my colleagues, if I were to say stuff even in an exploratory way. In fairness, I'm doing this right here on a podcast. And so like, perhaps I'm not that afraid, but I always, I always hedge myself a lot. Um, so maybe like if I were just letting my it out, which I don't know is ever a good idea, but if I just, well, I mean, we can go back to sexual trauma. But uh, but if, if I ever just let my it out, then I probably would would say a lot more things that I would lament having said and my colleagues and students might get on me for. I don't know. It's probably true of all of us. Um, but this, this, so he's saying that the reason this has happened is that basically and what he takes wokeness to be he actually does define it
0: which i like i would say this was easily my favorite of oh, the okay. articles for exactly the reasons that you talked about there's a policy agenda he defines like right. i i could pick it but like he defines it like yeah. this was the, this was the tightest yeah and so i, I like this most I, i'm not sure i would disagree yeah with the history he's drawing out i th- i think that that was useful work
1: yeah so so what he what he says is that it, it, the first pillar is that it defines discrimination as disparate impact. Right. And this, and one of the, one of the problems I have with, with Hania's articles, this one least of all, I don't think he does a great job of providing evidence for a lot of his assertions. Like, I think these are the kinds of things where if I were to, like, I see people all the time on like philosophy blogs saying there is no such thing as cancel culture. People are not feeling more; They don't censor more than they ever have. If anything, academia has been freer in its discourse than it ever has. And I always feel like uh, you're making me like find a citation for the sky is blue. Like I'm sure it's there, but I, sometimes I just don't even wanna do that because it seems so obvious to me. In fairness, when some people say, America's not white supremacist, right? Look at how Asians do, right? Stuff like this. A lot of people feel exactly the same way. Like you want me to find a site for America's white supremacist? Come on, just look around you, right? That's how some people feel. But I, I, I feel this way when people deny the existence of like cancel culture. But one of the things he says is that, um, it's, it, it defines discrimination as disparate impact and another thing he says is that um it tries to uh it under it, it understands what is the second pillar it's something like it understands words as things that contribute to disparate impact or like um offensiveness or people not feeling welcome and so then it creates a class of bureaucrats that tries to enforce two and one where one is disparate impact as discrimination and two is Two is the
0: workplace, the workplace, workplace uh, hostile, um, environment. hostile environment. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not quite about words. You phrase this in terms of the environment and the, but yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so basically like uh, one way to stop disparate impact is to have a non hostile environment, but what is a hostile environment? It turns out it, it gets operationalized such that basically whenever an employee is offended by something that other employees repeatedly say, there's strong incentives for the employer to have everybody stop saying that. And, um, and, and so, And the strong incentives are created by having a bureaucratic class that operates within your company or in the government enforcing these things. Where does a bureaucratic class come from? Well, it comes from the fact that a lot of our anti-discrimination laws are quite vague and are constantly changing. So you need to have a whole class of people who are compliance officers to keep your corporation in line so that you can keep up with the latest changes. And there's a funny thing he said. He said, this would have all been avoided if we just had explicit quotas which is something I'd never thought of before, which was like, oh, that's a very interesting view.
0: I made this argument in my de- uh, to, to a colleague in my department recently, uh-huh.
1: actually, um, that,
0: and, and, and this, so this touches on, I think, some of the weaknesses of this uh-huh. piece. I think it was a strong piece. I like the way he, he sort of characterized this. Uh, and, and I, I, I caught, that he said, like, if we want to have quotas, we should just have quotas. I made a very similar argument uh-huh. um, recently from probably a different stance uh-huh. from him. Um, but I... I and This is a conversation that you and I have had a little bit. Like, I yeah. I find the vagueness here deeply distressing. Yeah, and, and, and the, the the assignment of HR to the left, I
1: just think like, oh yeah, yeah. I figured you'd hate this. Yeah. So so this is one of the big problems that he has in all his articles. That the, the the focus keeps on shifting. So sometimes he'll talk about Democrats and Republicans. Sometimes he'll talk about liberals and conservatives. And sometimes he'll talk about a political class where like. That's kind of vague where he talks about activists, informed lay people, politicians, right. like academics. But, but is he in that class?
0: It's really unclear. If he's not in that class, uh, I he's in that he class. Could. I mean he would put him in that class, but I'm yeah. not sure that
1: he would put him well, himself he, in that class in the same way that Fox News is like, well, the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah they're, they're Yeah, yeah. Well we can talk about Fox News <laughs> later. But <laughs> right, like there's nothing. Well, yeah, I mean we'll I talked about with the TV, I so. guess. Yeah, yeah. So so I will say that um he I think he would admit he's in the class. It's just that like Arguably he's not a very successful member of that class, right? He's a guy who got his PhD from Columbia, I think. And he he had a, like a postdoc there. Did you catch his confection about the
0: R&Rs at our flagship journal?
1: No. Oh, oh yes, I did. I did. This was the article where he wrote like a big, it was like um, it was talking about big ideas, right? And he said he got he got an R. He got that's an R and R that's really great.
0: But he boxed the R.
1: Oh. And he attributes that to editorial fiat. Okay. And you disagree you, you, or you don't, you're not saying anything. You're just making faces. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Here's, what Here's what I'll say. I've certainly never had an r uh, 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 and So R&R That's, a, that's, that's, that's actually a sign that he's not a terrible academic. If he can get an r from your flagship journal. Yes yeah, so and no. Oh, he also okay. box the R&R. So he might have intellectual vices. So there might be something going on there.
0: Yeah. Um, like, look, editors are not. Perfect people, as we all know. Yeah. Um, and sometimes these things happen. But that, that, that aside, really, and, and the fact that he wrote all that out and then thought, looked at it, and thought, like, this is a really good idea to put onto the public square. This is this is gonna have uh-huh. buttress made. I what I basically thought was like, like, okay, I'm also butt hooded at editors, but then I don't instantly turn to like, well, the academy needs to be destroyed because <laughs> my piece didn't get placed. And yeah, like, I'm just yeah, it, it really undercut a lot of because I just felt like yes, I get that you're aggrieved because you think that you should be more important than than people think. Like, oh, yeah. man, can we just go? Back? Like, I, yes, all of us think that all the time. Like, let's just move on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, when you said our flagship journal, I think I neglected to mention you're a political scientist, just like Richard Hanania is. You do political theory. I do political, theory, and yeah. I, he did international relations. Yeah, and now the flagship journal. When you say R, do you mean for political theorists, or do you mean for political science? No,
0: I mean for for political science. So, so Mm -hmm. the the way the political science field is set, and here's a bunch like grievances aside, a lot of his criticisms are sort of methodological. Yeah, uh, homogeneity. As a theorist, I would echo. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't think he's off base, but but the reason he's not off base it has to do with like the larger milieu, not because it was bad for him. Yeah. Um. So so the APSR is the most ecumenical of the is the flagship journal for the discipline as a whole. It, okay. Sort of sort of publishes it. It purports to publish from all areas. Um you have been in academia for at least as, yeah. long as i have you know that this isn't the case sure yeah. has patterns that da, 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 da. There are also subfields at least in my area the the subfields are fairly are fairly fairly separate yeah. um so there's american there's ir there's comparative there's theory there's there's some other stuff that's sort of but those are the four big ones uh american comparative the separation
1: of those is by the way very weird when you stop and think about it <laughs> um uh It doesn't strike me. It strikes me as weird if you actually care about the truth. But <laughs> think, it doesn't yeah, strike yeah, me yeah. as weird given how important America is and how focused on itself it is. You can tell yourself a story of how we got here,
0: but that doesn't yeah, yeah. mean it's
1: admirable. Yeah. Um,
0: so the APSR is the flagship journal for the field. An APSR article is that's a big fucking deal. Like yeah. that's that's. That's a career-making thing.
1: Okay, um, so like it's that, like that the AER big, yeah. in economics, the American Economic Review, which, like, sure. whenever there, there's a trash site called Economics Job Market Rumors or something. Oh, uh, we have a poly site job. Yeah, market. yeah, and, and and they're always like these people are weird people, or at least when they express themselves, there they are. But like, yeah. it's so nice if you say weird rather than bad. Um, morally weird and bad, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, <laughs> There's there, people at their worst. Yeah, these right. people, people at their worst. People at their worst. Like, I, I get, I. I am sometimes this person too, but I yeah. have to basically do this with like my friends rather than in public. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I just keep it in my head. But like uh, they, um, they, they're always like, you know, so and so. Like that, but like if you bring up Tyler Cowen on that, they're like that guy is like not smart. He's not even had an an, an uh, like an article in AER or something like that. Like that'll be their their criterion for who's a good economist and who's not, right? They'll say that kind of stuff. Which well, now you know, more on board. But <laughs> somebody's, somebody's, somebody can. Well, Tyler says he's not that smart, but but um. And it's funny, I always thought that was mock modesty, but like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I, I get what he means. I, I think he's of course smart. Like if he was an undergraduate in your class, you'd be like, holy crap. But I just mean that like, when I've read his, his actual work, I've been uh, not as blown away by the, the substantive contributions he makes as, as just his overall synoptic view of things and being able to like master the literature and bring stuff in, which is great, but he's not gonna like be a trailblazer. Like, you know, some people are, but we're, we're we've gone far afield. I'm not, well, I'm not sure we have, because okay. because this is the ecosystem, right? Like uh, a part of, oh, a part yeah. of so, my so struggles coming yeah, to Yeah, you this. think that there's a lot of like personal griping that's motivating his project?
0: I took him as saying part of that, uh-huh. um, in, in all fairness. So maybe maybe that's that's deeply uncharitable of me or deeply unsympathetic, um, but I, I did read a certain part of that. But actually, when... Um, the fact that it's part of the ecosystem, actually, I think is the reason why that, the reason why I think that's interesting overstates it. The reason why I think that's notable is that, like, part of the struggles for me coming to this is that, so, you know, he, his target moves a lot, for example. Right. right. Sometimes he's talking about DRS. Sometimes he's talking about left, right. Some so his target moves a lot. And he's really unclear about a lot of stuff. But he's writing a sub stack. He's not yeah. writing. Like, he's writing a newsletter. And he's writing basically to his place. He's not writing to me. Like I'm not embedded in this ecosystem because, because I think that like the collapse of right-wing thought is really both interesting and detrimental. And because I'm basically bored, like I read the Atlantic section. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just boring. Um, like I wanna read, I've been on project of, of sort of getting to know areas that are not my, not my jam, but like, are like, the, we live a diverse place. Why shouldn't I, I, I learn about this stuff? So, so I started learning about some of this stuff. But he is writing very embedded in ecosystems. So I think when he says, like, that slippage, uh-huh. I might key up on and be like, wait, what are you talking about? But I don't think his audience is confused. Or rather, they might Actually, be confused in the background, but they're not experiencing confusion uh-huh. in the same sort of way. Like this is written to people who are already basically on board with this. Yes. I don't think this is written to convince people. Yeah. And is. originally, I felt like, oh, this is really bad because there's no reasoning in here. There's not. There's yeah. not a lot of reasoning that's given. I think that that really weakens this for the purposes that I would well put this. Okay. Thing. But I think he's writing basically to like his fellow travelers.
1: Yeah. Well, one one thing that strikes me when I read Hanania is how hard he is on Republicans. Like he like he has this article called uh, liberals reading conservatives watch tv and the basic gist of it is conservatives are dumber and more dishonest than liberals right and this is the group of people he identifies himself with and he does something that i think you you um you and i read differently and i think you're probably right about it where he says you should trust me on this because i'm attacking my own side right And, and that's a move that i thought yeah that makes sense but in reality, it, it's probably well. What, what 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 was your reaction to that? I mean, it, 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 it,
0: it's like someone. It's like uh, it's like a primary opponent in an election. Uh-huh. That's that's what he said. his his criticisms of the
1: of uh, Republicans are right? Whatever whatever, it, whatever whatever. In his, that article, and that article, the criticisms were of what he calls the right, the conservative political class, sure. which includes activists. But it was weird because the activists, they read, don't they? <laughs> like, I got confused by that. Yeah. I. And then it, then it became different. It was like a modus vivendi. It was like the style of conservative, like intellectualism nowadays has become Breitbartian and like much more personal in your attacks, much more conspiratorial in your thinking, much more about um, like trying to make money off people by like just and, and, and constantly changing like your... Uh, your goal, like right-wingers, like they used to be in favor of the Iraq war, now they're super against the Iraq war. They used to be uh, in favor, well, actually what else does he, they say they changed? Oh yeah, the Tea Party, they were like all against spending and all in favor of tax cuts. That's a problem though, because they weren't in power when they were in the Tea Party. right? So like who knows if they actually would have been Cutting taxes or cutting government.
0: All of American political history, by the way, teaches us that they would not have been interested. No one comes to power <laughs> and then divests them. As it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Once you win that election, you find things to do.
1: With yeah, that. and I <laughs> will say, when, when he said that about the Republicans changing their mind on foreign policy, well, part of it is that it was a terrible disaster. And if you think about the Democrats changing their mind about economics after stagflation, yeah, like there are some disasters that are so evident that you can't ignore them. We
0: should right? want to see some movement, shouldn't yeah, we? we? Yeah, yeah closing the loop of assessment
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that would be great yeah that, that closes the loop for assessment and and i did wonder how much he's cherry-picking because like the democrats arguably have changed their mind about free speech like to some degree democrats have changed their mind
0: about a huge number of things obama wasn't initially in favor of, of gay marriage
1: yeah and i think well yeah and i you know my, my wife is a huge obama fan and i said but he was against gay marriage and she said but everybody knew he wasn't and i'm like I felt weird about that because it's like, so, you know, he's lying, but you're okay with it. But like, you know, maybe so you have to do that in politics. I don't know. But like, maybe he wasn't lying. I think he was, <laughs> but, um, was he lying? I, I don't, I,
0: look, I don't know what goes on in, I don't know what goes on, <laughs> on anyone's mind. I barely know what goes on in my mind. Oh, I definitely course. don't know what
1: goes on in my mind
0: Um, but like I took him as basically, I wouldn't say deliberately lying, but thinking, deliberately not thinking about it. <laughs> okay, let's just, okay. Yeah, well, there, there's other stuff It's economy stupid let's focus okay. on the other stuff for a moment <laughs> yeah. all right but 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 yeah so so we Okay, so, so he, he says, I'm more trustworthy because I'm attacking, I'm attacking Republicans, but yeah. so I think he's just attacking them from the right. It's like a primary challenger, right? That's, that's, that's like saying like, oh, you, you, know, you should trust me because I'm independent yeah. uh, in this election. That's why I'm fighting against this, you know, this fellow
1: party member. You know what it's really like saying is like when white progressives say, look at me, I'm attacking other white people. It's like Scott Alexander wrote a whole article about that called the the only group I don't like is the out group, right? Or something like that, right. which is just like, yeah, like you can have other conservatives in your out group, right? And if he said, look, you should trust me because I'm attacking people I hate. It's like, well, that doesn't work, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So, but that said- I
0: think, I think, by the way, that that is an effective parallel.
1: And I would, and for
0: both of them, I basically like-
1: yeah, you're not a yes. Yeah. Right, right. So okay, yeah, there is a ton of like so, so, so that's but but that said, I do think and I, I feel like so so let let me let me before we get to the conservatives, watch TV liberals read. What do you think about the um you liked the uh, institution or institutions yeah, are woven because of civil rights law? Yeah. And so he's giving he's basically saying when you have this army of bureaucrats who whose whole thing is to enforce um, non-hostile work environments you're going to get like these crackdowns on speech. There's one remaining piece of the puzzle. Why is that crackdown in much more, so it seems to me, me you might disagree, much more of a progressive direction than a, there is there is a sense in which it's not in a progressive direction, which is they're very good at cracking down on union talk. Yeah, Right. I will never read HR as progressive. So okay. I will never not read Not even HR as progressive? As progressive. Like not leftist, but well, progressive. Okay. Like, I but I they, think. What
0: well, mean, what about diversity, mean, equity, not, inclusion? I do not identify
1: myself with HR department. But do you identify as a progressive, or as like an FDR liberal, or something, or like a social democrat? I don't know. Okay, don't but know. like the progressive, the the race, the race, what is it? DEI, diversity, D-I, equity, diversity inclusion. equity, inclusion. That seems progressive, whether it's left or right wing. It seems progressive.
0: I would, I would actually argue, I would, I would want to complicate that. I'm not okay. sure. I would want to say either yes or no. I would want to complicate that. Okay, and, and this is just talking from my experiences and yeah. sort of my position in space. Um, to me, and this is and this is also a, a, something that I didn't like about about this article, which I actually thought was was on the whole relatively strong. Um, is that I'm on board with these goals and uh-huh. oh, which goals, the, the DEI goals? goals? Yeah, in a rough sense. And if you ask me to fully operationalize them, <laughs> I want to say like I would have a hard time doing it. Probably, You'd be for the quotas, I guess. I might be for. I think that there are many different paths. Like, here's what I'll say. I think that there's a variety of literature on sort of a variety of discrimination that I find convincing, where Uh there's a variety of discrimination that's happening. Yeah. Let's, you know, I think that there is discrimination that happens. It happens on a variety of dimensions, probably more dimensions than we talk about. A shortcoming of the HR version of the EI is I think it's propensity to sort of narrow down the categories rather than to really explore the space of categories. So for example, it's it's all right if I just talk about like experience I'm having at work.
1: I mean, I I think it's fine, like as long as you're not worried about getting in trouble. Maybe maybe
0: I am going to get in trouble about this, like, I don't know. But on the other hand, what's tenure for? Um, So like, here's an example. we are in the middle of our departmental self study right now. Uh-huh. Part of that is talking about sort of race in the department and uh-huh. our students. Uh, and the students, I think, like, well, you know, actually have a lot of levers over that, but like, okay, fine. But in departments, you know, what would you them to sort of increase the person? Well, we haven't gotten any hires. So the answer should have been N slash A. But- right. That was not going to be uh, an answer anyone was going to be really happy about, and so instead they talked about the descriptive characteristics. And talking about the descriptive characteristics, they get the guy—I'm not going to name the guy who did it. He's a, he's a buddy of mine. He's, he's doing a very good job with it. But one of the things that came up is he said, "You know, look, I made this data from the university.
1: It says that we have this many." This many white people, and, and you're talking about in the faculty, or the in, faculty? Okay. in the faculty. So you're trying to increase diversity among your faculty. Sure. Yeah. Which, which incidentally, I,
0: I think in a broad sense is a good idea. I want to be clear. Why I'm on board with these? Why? Just because you think it helps your students more, or think you think it... you you're you think it'll <laughs> enrich viewpoints, or what? Uh, I, I don't. I don't have just one reason. Uh, because I think that there has been historical discrimination that's echoing today, that okay. is putting some candidates at a meaningful disadvantage, and I think that that's unfair. I don't know what the perfect solution. Uh-huh. To that is, but like right. there's an unfairness that rankles me. Okay. I think it would be useful for our students uh, less because of our students' racial background and more because some of them are first gen. Uh-huh. But I think it's really useful for them to be like, oh, this is like professors should. People like this is a this is a job uh-huh. like it's a job. I could I could go to work and clock in at nine and then do the job and leave at five. I I don't always feel like the students know that. Right. Um. I think that that's important. Um. I think that agonism is important. I think that what's con- agonism? Uh, conflict. Okay. Um. I think that's sort of you know, bounded conflict, but like bounded conflict is really useful, okay. and I think that that's good. I thrive when I'm surrounded by people who are simultaneously
1: like and unlike me. Um, and 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 you mean not just ideologically different from you, but like in a whole host of ways. On a whole host, and, of and, ways. and, and that's and that's
0: yeah. what I'm getting into. Is that is that when so so we're doing this self study and it talking about like the racial. So one thing he said, uh, the 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 colleague of mine doing this this self study. He, he he's a guy. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I, I want to be a little bit. But one one thing they said is like you know I got this data, but I think it's weird because like we don't have the right. Number of faculty. They told us we have X number of faculty, we actually have Y number of faculty. Oh, like, okay. That's oh, interesting. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. They said it said we have this number of white faculty. I thought that was like, why well, I hope yeah. they're not including me in that. Because okay. increasingly, I've just been identifying as Ashkenazic like, rather than white. And there are trends I can point to and sort of pieces I've read that sure. sort of push me in this direction. It's a thing that I'm sort of working out. Sorry, I thought I thought No, no. Anything. But one of the things is that, like, you know, and then I brought up some other members of, of the faculty who, who, I had to say, like, I don't know how they understand their racial background. And I said, like, my, my man, <laughs> you know that the data was wrong. Yeah. At least in part. Yeah. About this thing. And I'm telling you, like, I'm right here. I'm telling you this part of the data is also wrong. Yeah. But the forms don't allow that. Yeah. And at that point, at that point, I think we've really moved out of where I'm interested in going with this. This is at this point, just checking boxes. This is, so this is any, why you don't think it's left wing it's not one of the reasons yeah yeah well i don't know if it's like but it's but very I, managerial this is why i don't i don't i don't find myself in this this is not this does not resonate with me i don't think uh-huh. like yeah we're really doing the thing like the flattening uh-huh. of these sorts of conversations the inability i have to actually try and articulate a racial identity the inability of, of my colleagues i suspect to articulate their racial identity and the sort of disinterest that that I don't need to get on the CSUN administration in particular. I can do that on my own. <laughs> um, but I just mean, like, I think this is endemic to administrations. I think the administration of the that the administrative impulse is always going to sort of rob what's really interesting and useful and vital here mm-hmm. in a really bad way. And I think it's going to make people feel like, oh, I need to actually think about that. I check my box. I worry about that. I worry about that a lot. Yeah. I think he shares that worry in certain kinds of ways but he pushes it in a really different direction.
1: Yeah, and I I agree, I think, with the direction he's pushing it. Like probably one of my most unpopular views, and I don't say it because it would be unpopular, so uh, most, I don't know, problematic views, is that um, I think I'm against anti-discrimination law kind of in general. In general? Yeah, like I think if CSUN could just say, these are the, this is the kind of race of people we want to (laughs) hire, right? then there would be a lot less deceit and lying. Now, I'm not saying anybody at CSUN is deceitful or lying, but I will no, say that I think a lot of academics, they kind of want this goal and they try to figure out ways to get the goal. And it's not just academics. I think a lot of corporations, they want this goal. And there are, of course, corporations that want a different goal. Yeah, where they us sell want... sold
0: on the corporations for what it's worth.
1: Okay, right. well, yeah, I think corporations, some of them would love to use IQ tests. Some of them would love to just have people of this race or this color, but like, like one of the other kind of deceit Freddie DeBoer pointed to a study, there was this very ritzy New York City private school. And uh, one year, I think, and it was like 2018, something like 45, 47% of the students identified as white. And then like in 2020, same school, the number who identified as white was 2%. And the rest identified as like mixed race. And like mixed race shot up to like 45%, right? Sure. And so it's sort of like, when, once you make a system with rules, right, then people try to game it, which is why, like, even the system. I mean, just like, not way of thinking about this, but yeah. another way of thinking about it could be that stuff happened
0: between these two time periods, such that people rethought yeah. their racial categories, and there was conversation that enabled people to sort of reconsider yeah. these
1: things. But I think, I think it's in their self interest as well, to identify as a mixed race, and that had a lot to do with what they would find compelling or not, would be my guess. Um, but that aside, one of the things this gets to, I think I've, this conversation has actually helped me help me relate the three articles. The three articles are this, um, when you have a uh, uh, civil rights law the way we have where you have to have HR departments in every place that try to make people comply with, uh, with anti-discrimination law that focuses on disparate impact and also on on, on uh, hostile environment law, you're going to get a kind of woke workplace. And the reason you're gonna get a woke workplace is because woke people control institutions more than conservative people do. And the reason, this is his argument. And and the reason for it is that there are more people in the progressive world who care about ideas and principles than there are conservatives. And the reason for this is that there are more people in the progressive world who are not as interested in family, who are not as happy and who have greater degrees of mental illness. This is literally the reasons he was giving. And he so he doesn't quite say that. He says these are oh, yeah. some things we know that's and then right. walks away co- from it. conservatives. Co- well, he's, he did say I, here's a speculation. Yeah, conservatives are happier. They have kids more often. And that's going to matter. Actually, later on, they have kids more often. They're happier and they're more. They have like more of their meaning from religious organizations. And so this is why progressives tend to end up controlling the institutional culture of organizations. So this is why are churches they,
0: not organizations.
1: I, I will talk about churches in a bit. Okay. Um, this is why the HR culture yeah. is woke. And this is why, um, and, and so so, so basically because progressives care more, they, they they bend it to their way. And this is why, and he also thinks bureaucrats in general are progressive.
0: And there's a gender thing here that you're not talking about. Well, he does mention like, the gender thing. And, and I think that that's really interesting actually. Like yeah. HR, HR staffs with them.
1: Yeah, um, and he says- and that's, that's really interesting. He has interesting. one chart that shows the huge amount of women entering th- the HR. he never thinks about why and why it, women go into hr yeah that's i can guess why sense. he thinks so because he's big into like he's like a he believes in sex differences right so he's going to say he i've heard him i p- believe i've heard him say you know repeating this this claim that um men are thing interested and women are people interested right and so hr would be a thing that would attract more women than men whereas like computing would be a thing that would attract more men than women. And then he's going to give like the argument for why this happens. And he's going to like point to Scandinavian countries that have allegedly greater gender equity. Some people deny that. But you also have. But you have a lot more women going into. Sorting. Yeah, like, and the thought is when women are free to do what they want, they tend to do these things that we think they do only because of like socialization. And they, they could both be true, but he doesn't think the socialization story has much of a role. He, he definitely believes in like, genetic differences among men and women that manifest on a psychological level that help to explain general patterns. So that's, I think why he's going to say more women go into HR. He doesn't say that though.
0: Yeah. I would really be interested because even if, even if that was part of it and I'm less sold on this, yeah. thing, let's say <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm less sold on it. Um, but even if that's part of it, surely there has to be another part of like you know, all of a sudden, like women having access to much, a much greater education, women having right. access to many great professional opportunities. Isn't it interesting that women are ending up in these places? How much of it is sort of their choices in a free marketplace, right. which could be part of it. How much of it is sort of various pressures to go, you know, even very low level pressures to go into, I'm not talking about like socialization, but I'm, I'm imagining like far too often less and less of so that you see but far too often i've seen far too often it has struck me that um when there are two uh, two academic couples that uh-huh. a trailing spouse and, and they're a head couple yeah that the trailing spouse much more often is is the woman in, in the head i agree yeah um and like there's there's clearly a complicated story going on there and i think it would be interesting to drill down into that complicated story but you could tell yourself actually a very compelling story of, for example this is a great place to put spousal hires then, then I have this question of, like, well, why, are, why is it that women are spousal hires? Like, what's going on there?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, why do you think the relevance seems to oh, interest in that? In that. Um, like, he seems to think, like, oh, women are just going into this. And I think, like, look, but what's, what's the greater reason women are going into this? Is it just
1: because they want to be in HR? Because I'm, I'm not as compelled by that. And where sort of the, the mm-hmm. things are. Yeah, so as for that, that, that I'm guessing, well, I would be putting too many words into his mouth if I tried to guess why he thinks women are usually the spousal hires. But like I heard him talk about um, issues that are related to this where it leads me to believe that what he would say is that men on average are just more high testosterone than women and tend to get their way more often in relationships between men and women. And so that would explain why they go where the man goes rather than the woman goes. He might also introduce something called the variability hypothesis which is that um, men vary among more of their traits than women do. And not just men, but all male animals, pretty much. Hmm. There's more variability in male animals traits. So like, uh, like basically there's there's a lot more variability in male criminality than female criminality, for instance. There's a lot more variability in male height than female height. Um, And, there, there's some exceptions to this. There's a lot more variability in really. female secondary sex characteristics, right? Like the, the range of breast sizes for men is a lot narrower than the range of breasts. I'm not looking at you in particular. Slime. you. <laughs> We've all range. been
0: fattening the curve.
1: <laughs> so so uh, so yeah, so he, he would probably, and I shouldn't say probably, he might also say that there's going to be more brilliant men on average than women. This is part of the variability hypothesis that there's more men at both ends of the IQ scale than there are women. So you're going to have more 145 men and more 80 and more 70 men. And then, then you have women, but you're going to, but the average is the same for men and women's IQ, which is when you think about it, quite a surprising result, given like, if, if you think the society is like deeply sexist, right. That like women end up with the same average IQ as men. Um, Cause you know, you might think the tests would be biased against women, but they seem not to be, unless you can't take the the things at the ends as the bias. The
0: IQ test stuff, like I, i've just not spent any time like i yeah. i can't speak to this at all right I know I mean, I don't really this is good. just he he's yeah.
1: he's big into the iq test he's That's big into part. yeah he's he's very like he thinks is he big into the iq
0: test like steve sailor big into the iq test or is he big into the iq test like Tabarrok? oh uh, what i'm really wondering is what i'm really asking i think is how hard are is, is he, <sighs> oh is he hard r republican i think
1: <laughs> okay. um I don't want to speculate about that. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I, I I have my guesses. I have a guess too. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I I will say that anyway. So 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 I think this is why he would explain a lot of these things. I will say that the third part of the thing though. Regardless, yep, yep. But I want to stop you here. Regardless of how he
0: might explain it, he doesn't. No, and he I doesn't. I think it's really interesting to see what he stops to try and explain and what he doesn't. So for example, okay. Okay, one of the things I liked about this was that he does have something like a policy prescription at the end.
1: Yeah, and, and the not, policy prescription was get rid of a lot of these laws, the hostile workplace law, get rid of discrimination as disparate impact, make it more about actually provable intent. That kind of stuff.
0: Right. No, no, no. I thought that that was, uh, and, and i liked like it. This was concrete. He knew sort of the right. stuff. And he had a sense of like, here's why this would be difficult. All of that was good. Here's why I didn't see. And why, one of the things is he didn't stop and ask why people would want DEI initiatives in the first place. He didn't stop right. to ask what sort of problem might this be solving. He That's didn't true. stop to ask like, you're right. well, where did this come from? And you'll notice that his solutions didn't address that at all. So he's not presenting an alternative. I think what he's really doing is saying, I would prefer not to have to think about this right now. Yeah. And like, okay, you don't have to. Yeah. That's the thing. In a liberal society, he doesn't have to. He can go into his private He doesn't have to think about it at all. He can just go off into his private sphere. My man yeah. my man can go off into it at any moment. Yeah. Right? He could go off into a cabin in the woods and just do his thing. There's there's literally nothing stopping him from doing that. He can He can withdraw into the private. What his disinterest mm-hmm. in trying to explain this makes me suspect that what he wants is not a different policy around this, but just not to engage with this.
1: And like Yeah, he doesn't want to engage with it in the sense that I think he'd be against all anti-discrimination law as well.
0: Well, I would like to see him make that argument and why that would be good. Cause that's why I don't see. And and this is part of the problem with with doing this through Substack is like there's nothing in here to compel me. If you're not already on board, there's literally nothing in here oh, that see. would make you think like, oh, yeah, we should do that. Instead, this is all preaching to the choir. It's all, it's all just sort of, hey, I know that you and I feel this way. I'm going to help put into words why you feel this way. And it's a, I think that this one should be taken seriously. Yeah. But they're not arguments. And there's no argument that's really given in any of these yeah. that I think is going to appeal to anyone who's not already on board with this.
1: This is a tough spot for him because one of the things that's – so he, it, he did an interview with Robert Plowman. Robert Plumman is a geneticist who wrote this book called Blueprint, where um, he basically goes into the relationship between what we know about genetics and what we know about human behavior. And you could tell from the interview that this is something Hannanian knows a lot about. I mean, not like Robert Plumman knows it, but he, he, he when he was like 18, he was like big into the genetic stuff, okay? Cool. Sure. And that, that was, and he would like raise questions in his political science class and like political science professor would like not be very interested in the discussion about that. But I suspect, based on his interest in this kind of genetic stuff, that he's going to be like a lot of people into genetics and who says that like socialization doesn't make that big a difference for like outcomes. And, and, that, and so like, if we just let people do what they want, there'd be a lot of inequality, but it's gonna be like really hard to avoid anyway, because there's just, there's no reason to think that groups are different. And when I say groups, I don't mean races. It's going to be more fine-grained than that, like what, what, what the geneticist David Reich calls ancestries, like our ancestral groups, right? So people of certain ancestries are going to end up in certain areas. The thing is, though, is that he definitely does care a lot about culture, because in his last article with the whole thing about liberals, conservatives, watch TV, it's clear that he says this happened because of like the way these people are and how they relate to each other. So like even if conservatives have a predisposition and he's gonna think that they do have a predisposition towards certain personality traits, when you get them all into a group together, they're going to exacerbate their personality traits. And so culture will have to matter to him to some fairly significant degree because the reason conservatives watch TV is that they're more tribal, right? They don't care about policy because that's not the kind of people they are. Right, they there are, there are a few. He calls them libertarians. Right, there are a few conservatives who read, but and, and libertarians, he says, punch way above their weight. Like if you were to ask most people what they think of libertarianism, they'd say it's idiotic, it's crazy. But like here, they are having a lot more influence on policymakers than you know your average conservative rank and file person. And so he's going to say that yeah, and you know what he does with libertarians is probably worth exploring because I don't know to what extent it undercuts his whole argument. And the conservatives read, liberals watch TV thing. But uh, yeah, that, that is the last piece of the puzzle. So, like, basically, because liberals are more woke than conservatives because of these innate personality differences, and it leads to this cultural difference, and it leads to this sort of area where because liberals can have principles, they don't take advantage of their followers. They're more willing to get things done. They they actually care about policy, they like keep track of outcomes, they'll hold each other to the fire. Like, one of the parts that I think he was it was a small bit of evidence, but it was a good bit of evidence is that like or liberals got rid of Al Franken, liberals got rid of Andrew Cuomo. It is hard to imagine conservatives doing that because of foment within conservatives. I can imagine conservatives getting rid of some of their politicians because there was too much pressure just generally, but like, Mm, but no, I can't. Okay, well, because of Trump and because of like, who else uh, has done crazy stuff like him? Like Trump did a lot of sexually, well, probably did a lot of sexually awful stuff but like if it's two accusations
0: and it might as well be an infinite number i've I, i've seen one false accusation i've never in my life seen plural oh plural false, false accusations false accusations well what, what once you hit multiple you it, it's just a million.
1: well it's, it's never just two uh, <laughs> anyway <laughs> which is I just heard, a, a common reminds, reminds me of the, the the dave Chappelle joke about bill cosby right uh, he said um Bill Cosby was accused of raping 50 women. I don't believe that. There's no way he raped more than 10 or 11.
0: Yeah. That's what he said.
1: And, you know, so my point is that I can imagine there being, like when you have a lot of accusations, I can imagine some people being unscrupulous and jumping on that, but it would be unlikely that they're all false. It's possible, but is there an example? The only example I've seen anybody try to make hay of is, um, what's that guy's name? Michael Tracy. He tried to basically say the accusations against Andrew Cuomo were ill founded. And he he gives, he gives a, a case, but I, I, I don't really go and yeah. I read his case, and it seemed you know I like I have to do a lot of reading to assess it. And I, I was like I don't care. <laughs> right. Um,
0: okay. So 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 liberals will will hold people accountable, like yeah. Al Franken, and you don't see that. Uh, I don't think you, you see it. I don't think you see it. I yeah, I would say uh, you were going somewhere with this though.
1: Well, I'm just saying that I do think that these cultural differences exist, and I think that the the whole thing about like I agree with-
0: conservatives. Well,
1: we yeah. are old enough yeah. to remember
0: when conservatives read. This hasn't always been the case.
1: Oh, okay. So you, you, you yeah, it, it, that's true. It hasn't been the case. He said it, it was there in the Clinton era and it got more exacerbated since. He doesn't talk about before the Clinton era. I
0: would be really interested to hear more about uh, about before the Clinton era because yeah. it could be the case that basically what's been happening is the story I'm trying to tell of electoral realignment. where like, yeah. you know, the right one, Although the right one on a platform of don't do anything with the government, so sort of hamstrung itself right, right. away, right? Yeah. The reaction to 64 was, no, we're going to pull back the government. So they got in and that limited the extent because that was the rhetoric that they could pull back the government. They found ways to do it, right? Reagan didn't cut taxes, like Pentagon spending still counts. But like the rhetoric really hamstrung them. Yeah. Such that conservatives who at that point might have been reading and hold them. Like, like Gingrich put out the
1: contract for America. Yeah. In text. Yeah, I remember that. the words. Yeah, and there were like ten planks to it. it had and, term limits. It had like and, and
0: he and that like this is what you should hold us to. Now did not yeah. actually work out that way? Yeah. Um. But but I, I just think that what he's talking about here, even if he's right, I think it makes a compelling argument just about the sort of
1: like this. The, you do agree there are different cultures?
0: No, nah, I, I don't care. Oh, okay. Um,
1: I think that he's describing different behaviors because you care about the Republican Party not being insane. I do care about that. Yeah.
0: Um. Uh, so I guess in a certain way I care, but like. I'm not interested in interrogating that part. I don't think that there's a strong enough model of what a culture is here to right. to engage with. So fine, that's fine. Yeah, um, it's again, it's a Substack newsletter, so like, yeah. Um, but I, I think that this is perfectly commensurate with, yeah. with this this sort of realignment
1: story I'm telling, and that we might expect something different to be happening in the future. Okay, so what 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 part? I think the part that I I found um, pretty compelling, but I think you find least compelling is his claim that basically bureaucrats are woke and that like regulators are woke and that, 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 that if you're, so this actually gets to his argument for Caesarism, right? So he, 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 so fold (laughs) his (laughs) argument. Well, yeah, he says at the end of, um, what is it? Why is everything woke? Yeah. Uh, that basically there's this problem, right? Which is that, well, actually Scott Alexander does a better job of summarizing it. Um, what Scott Alexander says is that, imagine you're an anti-elite party. And the reason you're an anti-elite party is that the elites in general don't hold your values, but a lot of people do hold your values. So what are you going to do? Well, you're either going to actually be an anti-elite party or you're not. If you're not, then the game is up, right? Then you're just an elite party pretending to be anti-elite. But if you're anti-elite and you actually want to be anti-elite, who are you going to have in positions of power? Right. And, and one of the things is that you're going to have to have people who are kind of not elites. I mean, they're going to have to be their own kind of elite, elite enough to lead this anti-elite movement. But the thing is, they're not going to be most cases the kind of people who are credentialed by the most prestigious institutions. Those are the elite institutions and they tend to credential. You mean like Columbia? Like Columbia. Right. Not I said on average. Right. Like where did Christopher Rufo go to college? Right. University I of Maryland or something. Oh, Christopher Rufo is the guy who sort of led. Oh, it's
0: a fine institution.
1: Oh, it's good, but it's not elite. It's not like Columbia, like where Richard Hanania went, right? But, um, but yeah, like, so, so you're going to have parties that have a lot of people with um, non-anti-elite, or, with, with anti-elite status, and you're going to have to put, you can't put too many elites, like certified elites, in positions of power, and they're going to want to put non-elites in positions of power. But the thing is, is that we're going to get them. Who's going to be qualified? And so. What you're going to have to do if you're an anti-elite party is you're always going to be at war with all the elite institutions, right? And so you're going to look like either a strong man if you get your way because you're going to have to crush those anti-elite institutions. Oh, yeah, but you don't or, have to. That's the thing. Or you can be crushed by them. No, no. And so this and so this is, hold on just to finish. And so this is why he thinks, well, he doesn't think. This is why he, one, might think. one might think that one might think that might. in order for, for the right to get out of the thing they're in, they have to have, somebody crushing the elites, because even if the right gets in and passes law, the people who enforce the law are going to be woke and constitutionally against them. Just last thing, if you look at how the Trump administration, the Trump administration is complicated because he was so incompetent, at least by my standards, but arguably I'm an elite, I'm to the University of Michigan, but like I think fairly objective standards, but
0: the, I, I don't think most of Trump's supporters would say that the, the core of, of their support comes from his administrative competence.
1: I, I don't I think wonder, because a lot of them were talking about how great a businessman he was or whatever, when really he was a good salesman, more than businessman. a businessman. But anyway, I, I do think you saw a lot of people in the bureaucracies resisting Trump's orders. I agree. And not and like resisting his appointees and not trying to not do the things they were told to do. I agree. And I think like to why is this true? Is it true just because Trump is a shit show? Is it true just because Trump is like far right? But now we're at a point where a lot of people are trumpists right a significant number and if the bureaucracy is like constitutionally opposed to their will this is going to be a problem we're going to have i guess what you guys call a democracy deficit
0: yeah and i think that that's sorry that's the that's the reaction i was having yeah it's not about you because i i I, uh uh or or your description i agree with with where you were going in terms of um in terms of sort of his understanding of the world and sort of the experience of the world, what I really was reacting strongly about is, well, the only option here then is to become a strong man. It's absolutely not. Okay. There's a whole literature called democratic theory, which as a graduate student, I believe he probably has some exposure to, and there are sort of, there's a lot of stuff that goes on about, about exactly this sort of, the problems of democratic elites, the problems of reconciling sort of elite staffing or administration with democratic impulses. There's a rich literature yeah. about this. And you know where most of that literature doesn't go? We need a strong man. Yeah. He's saying the only possible response here is we need a strong man. I, I don't think is actually indicative of the field. I don't no. think it's indicative of the actual field of options about him. I think right. it's instead. Okay. So he, I'm, he, he's, he's interested in that. Sure. (laughs) In a certain way, I want to be like, yeah, that's right. Like, let's have an actual conversation then about whether or not we ought to have a strongman. Like, if if what you're saying is we need to overthrow liberal democracy because um, I don't like HR departments, we need to overthrow liberal democracy because the APSR did not publish my work. We need to <laughs> overthrow liberal democracy because, as it turns out, yeah. politics doesn't mean that I'm delivered every single policy preference that I have at every single moment of my yeah. life. Right? Yeah. there's he really seems to want to overthrow liberal democracy, but he's not. He's actually not quite saying why. Yeah, he's not saying what the problem is. He never says what the problem is with wokeness. Yeah, you'll notice. He never says what the problem is with administrations. He never says what the problem is with the administrative democracy. He never says what the advantage of a strong man is. He never says why the anti-elites are right. He, never okay. says
1: what the pro- uh, he does, he does. It's just not where you'd expect to find it. So the problems of wokeness, you're right. He's not gonna touch on that much because he's gonna find himself evident. But he does say stuff, he did say something like, defining d- discrimination by disparate impact is completely insane. Right, just because there's disparate impact, that's terrible evidence that there was intentional discrimination. Why? Why is that terrible evidence? Well, just because, for instance. Also, by the way, intentional discrimination does change.
0: Like, I, it's not the case that I am only worried about intentional discrimination. So, if he yeah. says this is a bad
1: measure of intentional discrimination, what my my immediate response is like, but that's not what I care about. Well, for instance, just just take um, just take uh, the SATs. Right, black students do worse on the SATs than Asian students. Is it because the SAT is discriminating against black students? Or is it because maybe there are other social factors that are happening that give black students on average a worse education and the SAT is just measuring that, right? If you say, look, black students do worse than the SAT, this is evidence of discrimination from the SAT, that is terrible reasoning, I think. Now that that there might be discrimination somewhere earlier in the pipeline, very possible, right? But like, just if you say that like, For instance, when they did criminal background checks, that was the case He gave, they did criminal, uh, dollar store, did criminal background checks on their employees, black employees ended up being flagged for criminal uh, records more than other races. Who would have ever thought the current carceral system would end up with this result? What a weird outcome. I'm just saying, though, that that is not necessarily dollar stores discrimination, right? Like, it's not crazy to want to do background checks on your employees, criminal background checks, right?
0: I 100% agree with where you're going with this. Yeah.
1: But that's not where he's going with this. Okay, well that that's part of it. Okay, the other thing, why does he not care about democratic theory? Okay? He doesn't care about democratic theory. This is in an article he wrote called "Tetlock and the Taliban," which I read. Yeah, and Drew like Loc- oh, somebody we know liked this. A, a, a buddy of ours, a, yeah, buddy a buddy of ours, a buddy, buddy
0: of ours who who's a smart dude. Like yeah,
1: yeah, and I really liked it. I liked it. Now, but I liked it. I have to say, for emotional reasons, because those are valid. Right, right. But like the, the one of the theses one of the yeah, one of the theses of that article is that most expertise is fake. Right. And what he says, like, at least when he says most expertise, I think he's thinking of social scientific expertise. I really think he's thinking
0: of something other than what he says. Yes, I have to agree. I thought that that was very, very weak because of that is he says all expertise is fake. He uses this example of, of a space program. Yeah. you know, We would be very surprised. I was like, this example actually kind of goes the, the opposite direction of the way you might think. Oh, I guess like like because indeed, the space
1: program worked. Indeed, expertise actually works fine. Right. But, but he, his, his case study was the failure of intelligence agencies in Afghanistan, right? Like to predict what was going to happen during the pullout, the failure of like all the people who talk about how to govern Afghanistan to actually govern it. Basically, I think the thing he knows best is international relations, even though he doesn't write on it very much. And and I think he looks at the track record of people in IR, or at least people who actually have power in IR, and actually the power to affect policy, and says, "Who has the power to affect policy? Well, in Kissinger, IR? right? Like <laughs> somebody like him, right? I,
0: I, I people have, from the Brookings Institute have to object to the notion that that Kissinger has an IR." Kiss- that Henry Kissinger represents the woke left.
1: Well, no, 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 no. This is this is an example. <laughs> this is I, I really must. <laughs> no, that's what he's saying. He's saying this is an example of, of fake expertise, right? Like, like a lot of these people who who, who have PhDs and have mm-hmm. all these students, they're terrible at their jobs. Look at their track record. Agreed. Yeah, and he's going to say this is true. He also gives another example of psychology, right? This is more controversial, but he says we've had more, uh, you know, anti. Uh, depression, anti-anxiety drugs than ever. We have, we have more people going to psychological therapy more than ever. And like anxiety and depression have increased massively since this has started happening, which he says, you have to see this as a failure on the part. Maybe not. I mean, you could say that like, it would have been much worse, but for them, just like, you know, like what like crime statistics, right? Like there's way fewer murders now than there were back in 1993, but there's as many murders now as there were in like the 1960s per capita. And you might say that's actually a bad thing because, because medicine has gotten so much better, better right? right? And so, um, so yeah, so so he gives but psychology. But medicine has gotten better, and yeah. he, he doesn't engage with that. Again. Right, right. It's just well, actually, some people think medicine hasn't gotten much better. Surgery's gotten better, like um, a lot of the drugs have not gotten much better. Uh, there's a guy named Jacob Stegenga who wrote a book called Medical Nihilism, where he's arguing that in fact there have been very few big breakthroughs in medical technology, like pharmaceutical technology. Although I think that's about to change because of the MNR, mRNA vaccines. Yeah, I was going to say, I, but right yeah, this now is, in
0: twenty twenty one is not the moment. It was I'm written. It was, that, written no, right? yeah. it was written before COVID. It was written before
1: COVID. But um, but but yeah. So he, he's going to. He points to psychology. He points to foreign policy. And what he think, and then he points to Tetlock. So is Tetlock foreign is.
0: policy a science though? I mean that's it's a,
1: expertise. Well, yeah. Don't you think it's expertise? Don't no, you?
0: I think it's all punditry.
1: But if you think somebody gets a PhD in IR, like Richard Hannania, for yeah. instance, do you think to yourself, as he does, oh, that's actually something to hold against him, not for No,
0: I don't I don't necessarily think that. Yeah, but I will say that like foreign policy is not a you think democratic theory, a, theory is? No, I don't think the democratic theory is scientific. And so, and so if, 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 It's not that I think that he ought to turn it. My reference to democratic theory is not, oh, these are experts. Leave it to the experts, little Richard. Instead, (laughs) um, what what I was saying is like, hey, I bet you have some familiarity with these concepts. Yeah. So not talking about some of these other possibilities, because I do have a background here. I know what you're not saying. Right. Now, maybe what you want to say is there's a bunch of stuff on democratic theory, but it's but it sucks. But then I think you have to make the argument. Right. Here's why it sucks. Here's what's wrong with it, and and the broadside against expertise. Like I will say, I, I didn't see his alternatives in there. Anyway, he, his he, alternatives. Didn't see what he would have done instead. His
1: alternatives are um, Phil Tetlock, right? The super forecasters stuff. Is that? I is believe that he it is he
0: doesn't, he doesn't come out and say that, but he doesn't. Come he out and he say points
1: out how a bunch of amateurs. I think right. he points out somewhere that a bunch of amateurs outpredicted the CIA. I,
0: They're very smart.
1: Well, if he said that, he's wrong because they did better. (laughs) Fine, Uh, I got no love for the CIA. Great. (laughs) Well, he doesn't either, right? He he thinks the CIA is also evidence of like expertise is fake. Yeah, yeah, you have that bit of agreement. But like, I can see the relationship between this expertise is fake and Caesarism, right? Which is you know, ignore the elites, ignore the experts, we can get rid of them, and we'll be fine. But what he wants to say is the kind of people we need governing us are Scott Alexander. Right. We need people who are like very rationalistic. They do Bayesian updating. I do not think of Scott Alexander this way. As, as you know, this is a long time. Yeah. And, we can do another podcast about we, Scott Alexander because that that's let's that, invite him. Uh, he doesn't do podcasts. Oh, no. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't, I think, for, for, for very smart reasons. Yeah, but I mean, um, had I had this
0: bad experience with The New York Times, not. Incidentally, a liberal or left institution. But how well, do I that disagree?
1: You don't think, well, we'll just... no,
0: no. Once you say we should go to war with Iraq, you're not
1: on my team anymore. I'm sorry. But nowadays, don't you think they're a liberal institution when you have moral clarity and you have some people saying in the newsroom that everything's about racism? I still,
0: I still don't. Read, I haven't. I haven't subscribed to the New York Times since they. Like I don't read the New York Times. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. It's, yeah, I, I got to be honest. I don't either. No, no. Why? Why would you? Yeah, yeah. No. You know what? I actually prefer the New Yorker to the New York Times because the New York Times is a small town paper blown up big. <laughs>
1: That's true. Whereas the in New the York Yorker, seventies. Yeah. No,
0: the, the New Yorker is 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 parochial and it knows it. Yeah. Here's a restaurant in Midtown you might like. I know you're in LA. You're never going to go to it. Fuck you. I want, I want more of that. Whereas the New York Times pose as like the USA Today the of smart people. I yeah. just think like, guys, no. Yeah, God, that's, not, that's not what we're doing here. That's not what, what you're up to. So. I,
1: I kind of don't like journalism in general. I mean, it's not that I don't like it. I think we should have it. But like, I think a, a guy named Michael Schumer, he said that um, once you know an, ex, an area in depth and you see how the media treats it, you can never go back to trusting them on anything.
0: And and notice what I'm doing.
1: I know democratic theory fairly well, so I can read this and be like,
0: there are alternatives they are not a strongman that you're bringing
1: up. Yeah, yeah. But the the last bit of reason. So like, why strongman? So you have the, um, he probably thinks democratic theory sucks. As far as alternative, he'd want Lockheed and super forecasting. And why strongman? Why not something else? Well, he he seems to favorably look at Orban and Erdogan, if you look at his tweets. And so it's basically like, oh, it's passed the field test, right? Like these two things happen. And it's not like Turkey has, well, people will disagree with this, but he's going to say it's not like Turkey has collapsed economically. Or I think I think they, there was a period when they were doing quite well economically. I think that has passed. There was a period when Venezuela was doing quite well economically. And that passed too. I don't know anything about Orban other than that a lot of people hate him. Um, and supposedly he's doing stuff about like the court system and stuff like that, which wouldn't surprise me. But he seems to like these kinds of strong men, yeah. right? Orban and erdogan Yeah. And so um, so I think that's his sort of he never says I'm a Caesarist, but I think that's his brief Look, here's what I'll say. He's He's not listening. Yeah. But if for some
0: reason he is, if he's not a Caesars, he can He's got a platform. He can correct us. Yeah, that's true. He can he, tell us why he's not. I'd be he, curious if he isn't why I, he isn't. I would really like to know his reasons for frankly much, of, you know, at one yeah. point, at one point the 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 sort of liberals read uh, conservatives conservative box TV says, you know, look, liberals they're all this smart stuff. You might wonder why I'm not a liberal. It's because I disagree with them about everything. I'm like, I I actually don't know what you believe mm-hmm. at all. Yeah which is interesting. Maybe I should follow him on Twitter, but I'm not gonna get on Twitter. No, don't do that. literally any reason. There is nothing that could get me on Twitter at this point.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, if if that's where we start putting our Amber Alerts, I'm like, go with God children, this is your new home um no that, that i should probably should say that, that darn. I mean,
0: <laughs> <God>.
1: <laughs> no i, I have That's... a child i'm a very big fan yeah. um, um of of, my, of children in a good way children, yes children in, a, in, a, in oh, an appropriate geez. fatherly way you're a great father well this was my last podcast everybody anyway um yeah i will say that like one thing he doesn't consider which i'm surprised so so to so some degree, we're, we're both saying this is the book you should have written. <laughs> but one is, thing, are oh, the
0: Superflorecaster is the same as Orban? Because I don't get a no. strong Supercaster vibe from Orban. So if he wants Supercasters to be in control, by the way, he probably doesn't want Orban to be in control. If he wants Orban to be in control, he probably doesn't want to. He probably has to choose here.
1: Um, yeah, well, I think, uh, I, well, he probably wants Orban who uses forecasters, is probably what he wants. And maybe that's not a thing he can get. Like yeah, maybe anybody not. who's an Orban would not cater to super It doesn't immediately
0: seem like yeah. Orban's going to try and- he- no, yeah, I no, I guy, see that. yeah, I don't know much about the
1: guy, I don't know much about Orban. But,
0: incidentally, the super forecaster stuff is much more in keeping with many of the trends in democratic theory than the Orban stuff. The Orban uh, stuff is basically moving away from democracy fundamentally, Right, right. and and the super forecaster stuff I think would fit in actually really nicely. Now that, again, expertise is fake, whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if he doesn't want to do that because it's present democratic theory, fine, although again, he could give some reasons for any of this. Yeah, yeah. so or he, give he it hasn't it right
1: given reasons that I've seen. And I will say the the other thing he hasn't considered from my vantage point, given how much he cares about genetics, he knows that the genetics literature says political orientation is highly heritable like about 0. 0.4, which is about 40% of the differences explained by genetics,
0: regardless right? of why I should say, this is the finding in political science that like, what political party are you probably the political party your parents were, right? And there are a very limited number of moments where we would traditionally expect people to shift parties.
1: Yeah. And then I would just ask him, Richard, who's having more children, conservatives or liberals, right? And I think conservatives are having a lot, well, I don't know not a lot, but they're having more children. And so I think if you're worried about the long term, I think conservatives have that going for them in a way liberals don't. Now that said, maybe that's most of the smart people who grow up just tend towards liberalism. But he denies that explicitly. He says, look at the Taliban. Right. He says they have the most one of the most selective institutions in the world and they, they hired their society's elites and they're not left leaning. And he and he says, look, the idea that the left like this is an idea of Curtis Yarvin's yeah. that basically, as Yarvin puts it, Cthulhu always leans left. What what he means is that like any educated class is always going to be to the left. I think that's what he means. Is and the madras not education?
0: Is what the madras that's so that's so No, I he
1: I don't think he's thought of that. Like so, so I think yeah. Hanania is like responding to Yarvin to some degree. Like because he said to all those people who think that you can never have a right-wing elite, he's like, here's an example, and there's tons of examples. Like there's there are some people who all think that, of Western. Yeah. I mean, but like, you would
0: have to be, they're very parochial an astonishingly stupid person well, to think that there's no such thing as, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to stick on this. One.
1: Uh-huh.
0: If you think, if you come to me and say, I just don't believe that there's the possibility of a right-wing elite. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm going to be impolite to you, but immediately at that point, I'm going to be thinking about like, I wonder what pizza topping somebody. like at that point, like uh-huh. you would have to be Jaw droppingly stupid,
1: yeah, to yeah, advance
0: it, or fundamentally dishonest. Which
1: I think, I think the people who say that are people who have no sense of history and are very emotional, and so they're like, they look around, they see like the people who are called elites, you know, like Harvard and the New York Times, etc., and they think, oh, conservatives could never flourish
0: by the New York Times, though. That's the thing, like, there's this whole well developed, yeah, right. Ecosystem with its own elites, with its own elite universities, with its own elite markers. Like, yeah. Does that?
1: I'm surprised he never talks about the federal society, to be honest, because yeah. that was
0: because it would undercut his argument
1: to some degree. But like, he he often will like one of the things he says is that Republicans got what they want on guns and abortion and taxes, right? That's right. And yeah. they did it through the abortion and the guns is interesting because I'm not sure if they got that through an elite. That might have just been a grassroots thing. And he we definitely wasn't... got through the Oh, they did? Okay. Cause... Well,
0: I would say like the, the Second Amendment to incorporation all, uh-huh. through the 14th Amendment to the states okay. was well, a, a central project of the conservative legal movement uh-huh. uh, has, as has the sort of push to either restrict or eliminate Roe, right. which we're yeah. pretty... about to see. Yeah, <laughs> I suspect and, 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 we're, and, we're on the verge
1: of. And like, uh, but the low taxes thing, That to me is all elites, right? I can't, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I guess people like low taxes. People like low taxes. But but
0: like- Americans collect taxes in a crazy way. Yeah. And therefore, because of that, this got really complicated because like income taxes drop, payroll taxes, which- from the non-elites. Or, yeah. yeah, If you, if, you're, if what you're grappling
1: with is like, oh, maybe the right elite sold out the, you know, probably. But no, the left do that What I'm grappling with is that I was thinking the rationale given for low taxes was like, it'll increase the growth rate or it'll cause the government revenue to increase. And of course, no. that's not why. People don't like no. low taxes no, no, no. because they want to keep their money. Because they want to keep their money. Right, right. And that's... I was thinking like, from a from the perspective of an economist, like, oh, this never got le- like... Remember, J- George H.W. Bush basically lost the presidency on the back of that. Breaking the tax pledge. No, no tax. I mean, he uh, because that
0: gave the opportunity for Perot to come in, Perot split that vote that allowed Clinton to come in with uh, do you was fundamentally a minority. Do you think
1: Bush would have won without Perot? My dad uh, always thought that. I never It's hard for me that. to imagine he wouldn't. In oh, a okay. certain
0: way, the Perot voters, Perot was not drawing off of Clinton voters.
1: I don't All right. Don't I, did, I didn't look at it. A but bit. maybe
0: it would have been people who didn't vote. I don't know.
1: Well, let's so just summarize. Like political scientists. Let's summarize because it have been about an hour and a half. So basically, <laughs> I think that... Um, you you you're not very like you think there's this dynamic but it was a dynamic that's happened before and it's probably going to swing back right this dynamic and and he thinks that um the 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 bureaucratic elite is kind of like stuck as like this kind of progressive whatever kind that is and so laws are always going to be interpreted by people who are these progressives and you just see no reason to think that's gonna remain the case or you don't think it's the case I now? I don't even think it's the case now. Like I do not find progressivism in the HR stuff what, that So I what get. do you think of the HR as a political entity? Is it a political entity at all? Cause don't you think of corporations mm-hmm. like, cause one thing that is totally left out of his analysis is economics. Right. All he talks also, about, yeah, churches. Yeah, we never get to churches. Yeah. He but says churches like, don't
0: have HR departments, right? Uh, I think some of them do now. But, uh-huh. but beyond that, it's, you know, where he says like, well, the left is much more interested in politics. Where I think of the politicization of, I shouldn't say the politicization, where I think of the political character of the church and the fact that the right dominates church, what I think is things are more complicated than you are saying. Because if you want to say the churches are just wholly separate from politics,
1: I would disagree with that assertion. Yeah, I would disagree with that too. I don't know how how organized they are when it comes to politics. But I think it probably varies. From there was a time the church, when there was something called the, uh, what's it called? The minority, some moral majority. The moral majority, that was like a group of basically church leaders who were like organizing that like, political yeah. events. Yeah, so, but I think that's gone. Or but like, uh,
0: no, I, I think Not it's that, that particular organization. I think it's is
1: normalized. Okay, so you do. Th- At okay. my synagogue every week, we yeah. have a prayer for the state
0: of Israel. Right. And the 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 rabbis Rev if you're listening, <laughs> I really like you, but I'm I'm gonna say something a little yeah uh, a little critical about you. Uh, so so the the high holy days were uh, given on Zoom. I went. Uh, they were also in person, but they were right. also on Zoom. Uh, because uh, the young kid she wasn't vaccinated yet. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah, just yeah. gonna do it on Zoom. Fine. Um, and at a certain point in the sermon, he starts talking about. uh uh, forgiveness and uh, not forgiveness about um uh, the baseline equality of people everyone needs to be equal um you know we've really sort of gone away from this and they spend 15 minutes talking about how the palestinians are at fault for everything in israel even though the israeli government is much more powerful They really spends a lot of time talking about how the palestinians Uh are in fault immediately abutting a we need to make sure that we treat everyone equitably and equally and fairly yeah this is a political statement He's engaged sure. in politics. He's engaged in sort of Zionism at that yeah. point. Um, I turned it off. I, I just felt like this is this is not where my head is at for Yom Kippur. As it turns out, he's yeah. hearing about why the Palestinians are saying
1: Yeah. Um, well, my church. Um,
0: but this is a political moment. Yeah.
1: At the, at, at, at the, we just, at the church. we pray for the victims of abortion, which is, I guess, another political statement. It's more of an ethical statement. Because you can agree that abortion is bad and also think it should be legal, we never say we pray for. Which might be where I'm. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. that's why I said that. Yeah. Um, and so um,
0: bad. Unco- I am uncomfortable. I don't have a uterus. It doesn't really matter how I feel. I I'm never gonna get an
1: abortion. I, I disagree. I think it matters how we all feel. But um, but that said, um, I guess. Oh, uh, so what's your? Let, let's just close with this. What's yeah. your? What's your estimate? What, what are his biggest flaws? As a public intellectual, as a
0: public intellectual, I don't think he's giving reasons for this, and I'm I'm, I'm going to take I know I know we're probably running long, but I'm going to take a minute or two with this. Okay. He doesn't give reasons for for ways of thinking. Now, part of that is probably subtext. He thinks he's just talking to people who are already on board. Yeah. What he's doing is giving voice to their feelings. I think that that's by the way important. One of the big failures of you know the the sense of I think there's been a a a move recently to take people's feelings seriously, right? That's right. linked with the sort of HR stuff, but that has not extended to the quite legitimate feelings uh-huh. that people feel towards HR, for example, and just disregarding <laughs> those, I, I actually think is, is a bad idea. It's, I think it's bad tactically, but I also think it undermines the basic principles. If everyone's feelings are important, then actually everyone's feelings are important. That doesn't mean everyone's going to get their way, right? but it means that everyone's feelings are valid and need to be, be taken account of. Okay. So I think he's, he doesn't give reasons. My concern is that because of his sympathies towards Orban, Mm-hmm. and anti-liberalism. It's yeah. not just the case that he's not giving reasons because everyone's on board, but he's not giving reasons because at the end of the day, he doesn't think it's important. He's not he doesn't think it's important to give reasons, period? That he's not actually interested in public reason. Oh, and I, I think that liberalism, like, look, Lockean liberalism does not get into public reason all that much, but like in a post-Rolls world, which is the world that he grew up in at Columbia, that he bumped into some of this stuff. In a post-Rolls yeah. world, part of what liberalism has come to me yeah. is that there's an idea of public reason. If you wanna make a change in policy, you have to give reasons. And moreover, you can't just give reasons that are like, but this isn't what I wanted. You have to give reasons that are articulable to people in the public, which is to say understandable to people who do not necessarily agree with you about your priors. He doesn't seem interested in that project at all. And I, what I worry about is that his interest in, in figures like Orban are because he doesn't wanna give reasons. Mm-hmm. He just wants to get the stuff he wants. I get that. I also want to get the stuff I want, mm-hmm. but like, that's not what politics is. Yeah. And that he's just misunderstanding. I, I don't think he's misunderstanding because he hasn't thought about it. He's just decided like, no, I'm just not interested in the project of persuading fellow citizens. I'm not interested in sort of giving reasons to people who oppose me. What I'm interested in doing is giving fuel to my side so that we can try and effectuate this takeover later. Yeah. Um, I worry about that. I want to say, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic about this. I think I'm, i I would, if, if that's not where he's going, I would like to see some indication. And it's really not just him. No. He seems like a perfectly fine guy, Yeah, not a perfectly fine guy. He doesn't seem like the world's on guy. sky, although I did not think much of this, but like, this is a trend that we've seen with uh, in American Spectator. We've seen this in National Review at moments, like, uh, or well, the American Conservative, not Spectator. Yeah. The American, like I know I know Rod has some sympathies Rod in Drier, this yeah. and that, that there's been this sort of, you know, David have has been. I am concerned that basically the right is, and I I do mean sort of the thinking right, has decided like, we're not actually interested in public reasons anymore. We're not that interested in liberal projects. And, And that worries me for two reasons. It worries me because I think that liberalism, at least as a sort of tactical modus of Vende, really has at least ideally tried to prevent violence. And mm-hmm. if we do away from this, we have to acknowledge that we are risking violence. Like if, if, if he comes to me and says, hey, I would like to take up strip away a bunch of your rights and prestige and status. Um, and I would like to radically reconfigure the democracy to limit your dem- you David's democratic input. I'm not gonna give you a reason. I just wanna do this. My first response is basically no.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the responses get more forceful from there, let's right. say. So that's one thing, um, uh, one concerns. The second is that I think it's unhealthy for people to, to, to come to politics. I just think like, well, I, I'm not going to give reasons. I'm not going to think anymore. Like, I I think that's an unhealthy habit of the mind. I don't think it says anything good. And I think it's, it's really, it's a kind of, for me, it's almost shocking. Like I feel shock Mm -hmm. about the extent to which Burke, Burke has just lost. Mm -hmm. And this, this notion of, of, of sort of slow movement and sort of institute like that's just, Utterly lost, like that's,
1: even among conservatives. Yeah,
0: that's just gobsmacking. So my concerns about the the way that this is written and this the way that this is argued aren't fundamentally, at the end of the day, just about like oh, like dude's blog post was as tightly argued as it could. Because like yeah, that's right, dude's blog post probably was as argued mm-hmm. as it could. That's what blog posts are. Nothing I've said has been particularly tightly argued today. Right. If anyone could look at, at, at the stuff I'm saying and make me look like a fool, and like fine, that's right. It, And if anyone's listening wants to do that, then enjoy yourself. (laughs) Um, But I am concerned that there's no attempt. I I am concerned that it's not just no attempt, but that I am concerned that there's a turning away from that as a project. That worries me deeply.
1: Yeah. And it's, I will say, uh, when I saw Hanania do it, I was like, fine. When I saw Curtis Yarvin do it, I'm like, well, fine. But when Dominic Cummings basically said the same thing and basically said, you know, one of the people I really read a lot are Richard Hanania and Curtis Yarvin. And I was like, Okay, in case you don't know, Dominic Cummings was a very highly placed official in the Boris Johnson administration. Yeah. And, and, and it's a very interesting and smart guy and quite Tetlockian at, with the Bayesian updating and the whole cost benefit analysis stuff. But yeah, I think, I think this is actually something that we're not just seeing from conservatives, but also from libertarians. There's a lot of, and from basically, there's this book called Democracy for Realists, which I guess made a big splash in political science, which is basically most of the democratic polity are really deeply uninformed and irrational about how they think about politics and this is a problem and it, i don't think they say what to do about it they might gesture at it but like you get people like jason brennan who i think that i like and i think is very smart but he says you know this is why we should not have democracy we should have epistocracy rule by experts and brian kaplan is also against democracy and Ilya Soman is also against democracy And there's a guy on Twitter named Michael Malice who's deeply against democracy, but he's an anarchist. So, you know, he's gonna be, but like, there's, you know it's getting like the idea that we shouldn't let the people um, have that much of a say because they're idiots is getting more traction. And the the idea that we shouldn't let the people have a say because they just don't care about politics very much. They just want to live their lives. That's getting traction. And finally, the third idea is the more uh, like basically democracy is a failure because basically the way it works is that democracy is just progressive getting what they want and when they don't get what they want they say democracy is being threatened right and so they're like well fine we're not we basically don't have a democracy anyway so we can just have a different kind of like oligarchy or aristocracy or whatever and i think so that the last part is like the emotional part like prog's just going to prog and we can't stop it so let's just dispense with. and so i i, I do think it is something you should be worried about because like the good thing about Hanania, which I think you said earlier, is that he's actually trying to put ideas on the table. And like not just pure like dyspeptic ticks. Right. Right? No, 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 no. But but you don't like the ideas he's putting on there. But like
0: Well, but I'm not sure he is. That's, right, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the other problem. part of it. Is that on the one hand in the book review, he's like, someone ought to do this. I'm like, but Yeah but you're someone <laughs> yeah yeah um and, and and the fact that he's getting so close to it and not and the fact that he doesn't like look i didn't think that these were marvelous and and the fact that everyone on a certain you know in a certain community is going nuts over this makes me think like
1: what's wrong oh no oh no, this oh, no.
0: <laughs> um but like I, I think that it's called like no there needs to be ideas is good that's really good but he's not doing it and the fact that he's not doing it makes me think like wait why is he not doing it why is he not doing it why uh
1: yeah and so okay so yeah so uh an interesting and somewhat alarming sign of the times. Uh, that's, well, I feel like I should have a sign up. I have no sign up. We don't need to have a sign up. That's right. We're just, just, gonna just having coffee. All right. Bye, everybody. I'm going to stop recording.